This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says in the King James translation that the letter is written to the, to the Ephesian church. Paul, a servant. Now, let me get it. Here it is. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. At Ephesus is not in the original manuscripts. And um, uh, as a matter of fact, the original manuscripts are left blank. Uh, I was talking to somebody this week that uh, uh, reads Greek texts and goes back and looks at some of the ancient stuff. And he said that in the original um, uh, or the, the ancient manuscript that he was looking at, the Codex, uh, well, I don't know how to say it. It'd come out in tongues if I tried. But um, uh, he said that there was uh, in, uh, in that space, in a different writing, a different handwriting, the words at Ephesus. It was supposed to be a circular letter. It was supposed to be a letter that was written for all of the church. It's the last of Paul's letters to the church. He wrote a couple of letters to uh, Timothy and Titus. Uh, from uh, We believe this was, it was written during his Roman imprisonment just shortly before his life was over. And it's a parallel letter to the Colossians. The Colossian letter, for example, deals with a problem. There was a, um, a new doctrine, a radical doctrine that had, uh, had crept into the church uh, well, let me just read something. I'm, rather than just trying to quote it, I'm trying to save time, but there's no point in that whatsoever. Colossians chapter 2, Paul said uh, in verse 16, he said, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. In other words, the Judaism, uh, an element of Judaism had crept into the Colossian church, which is part of the reason that Paul is writing to them he goes further and tells us a little bit more about the, the wrong doctrine that was uh, taking root in the church of Colossae. Verse 18, let no man beguile you, that means rob or defraud you, of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, speaking of Jesus, from which all the body, by joints and bands having nourishment, ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. So the wrong doctrine, the heretical doctrine that had gotten into the church at Colossae uh, included or at least uh, uh, was uh, accompanied by a form of Judaism or uh, partial Judaism at least and some kind of voluntary worship of angels or, or spiritual hierarchy of angels and stuff like that. Folks, you'll notice something throughout the, the years. Uh, I know that it's come around a couple of times in the, the time that I've been... Uh, following the Lord and, uh, and in ministry, and that is the devil likes to draw a lot of attention to himself. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus leaves you to draw attention to him. But the devil tries to draw attention to himself. One of the things the Bible says about the last days is that people will be seduced by doctrines of devils. One translation said, or several translations actually say, doctrines about devils. So a lot of times the devil wants to draw attention to himself by talking about or having somebody teach on uh, demons and demon activity and, and stuff like that. Well, Paul addresses that, uh, that issue with the Colossian church, but to the Ephesian church, he talks about some of the same points, the same issues, but not trying to correct a problem. It's a, it's a letter that, uh, well, the Colossian church, the theme to the Colossians is Christ, but the theme to the, um, uh, to the, the letter that we know of as Ephesians 
is the church. Because he talks about who we are in Christ and the position that we hold as the church, the body of Christ here on the earth. So I'm going to start here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. That's about as far as we got last time. And I'm not really so concerned. To be real honest with you, there's so much in the book of Ephesians that if we tried to go verse by verse and did it justice, we'd be here through the millennium. Um, so I, that's really not my purpose. My purpose is to hit some high spots and, and to focus on and center on some themes that are important for you and me to know. Doctrinally, the book of Ephesians is, is so full of information that you could take forever talking about every little point. So let's start. I'm going to cover one sentence this morning. You may think I'm aiming low, but you wait till you hear the sentence. I'm going to cover one sentence this morning. Verses 3 through 14. That's one sentence. Now, in the original Greek, there's no punctuation, but for the, from the grammar and the setup of, the, of the, uh, uh, the way that it's written, it's all one sentence. So I'm going to read it through, and then we'll stop and take a little piece of it apart and talk about it. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom also you trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, can I ask you a question? What did you get out of that? There's a lot there. I mean, we can all agree there's a lot there. But what did you get out of it? Well, there was something in there about redemption. And he said, praise God and glory a lot. Now, realize that when Paul wrote to the churches, this is the way these letters were read. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in, in the letter that he wrote to the uh, Colossians, he told them that after it's read among them to make sure to give it to the Laodiceans and also read the letter that he wrote to them. Now, we don't know what letter he wrote to them. Some surmise it was this letter because it's not addressed specifically to the Ephesians. And they could be right, but we don't, just don't know for sure. So apparently Paul intended for these letters that he wrote, at least these two, I believe more so, but at least these two, to be read among the churches. Now, how would they read them? And what would they get out of them? Folks, the first point I want to make to you is you have such an advantage over the early members of the church. Because Revelation is progressive. Not only do we have a record of it. I mean, it's not like they took it and Xeroxed this thing off and gave everybody a copy. So not only do we have a record of it, 
we have the opportunity of hundreds of years, a couple of thousand years actually, to read, to study, to hear from the Holy Ghost, to find out what is God trying to get across to us. And that's what I want to do with a little bit of it this morning. Verse 3. Paul, now one thing I do want you to notice out of this, compare this with uh, things that Paul wrote to the Hebrews and things that Paul wrote to the Romans and things that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, most of of that letter, he's trying to fix a problem from them because, man, they had problems. But with the Romans, it was all about doctrine. It's all about Jesus has finished the work. We're justified by faith. The foundation of our faith is the word and so forth. This is... Just like Paul has opened up his heart, he's standing there with his hands raised to heaven and he's just glorifying God for his goodness and for what God has done. There's a whole different style to this than other letters. And as a result, some people argue that Paul didn't even write this letter. Well, if he didn't write this letter, whoever wrote it knew Paul better than Paul knew himself and the message that Paul had been given by the Lord. Secondly, if this letter is such different style then we have to ask the question, why would it be different style? See, what happens so often is people get stuck in Romans. People get stuck in the justification by faith, and they think that everything is about the foundation's justification. Notice that Paul didn't talk about Judaism in the Ephesian letter. Why? Because it's not the big deal that it used to be. Now, there's an element of it springing up in Colossae, as we mentioned before. But most of Paul's troubles and persecution by the Jews is over. He's in prison in Rome, so the Jews aren't concerned about him anymore. They think he's taken care of. And in one sense, he is taken care of. What they didn't recognize, though, is that God would use him from prison to affect more churches than he could have ever visited. So they think they won. So it's not such a big deal in the churches, primarily because of the doctrine and the foundation that Paul has laid and some of the other letters that he's written previously and so forth. Now it's like Paul is opening up his heart Opening, a, raising his hands toward heaven and just giving praise to God for his goodness and his grace and his overwhelming plan of redemption. And that's what this is all about. That's what the Ephesian letter is about. It's about who you are in Christ, who the church is because of God's great plan of redemption. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So he starts talking about God. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, everybody say hath, that's past tense, already done, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, folks, 
So many times the church wants to substitute the blessings of Abraham for these spiritual blessings. But as we mentioned in a service here recently, Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So that the blessing of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham, here's the reason, verse 14 of Galatians 3, here's the reason why Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Not that the blessing of Abraham might be superseded or substituted for by Jesus, but that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, what is the promise of the Spirit through faith? These spiritual blessings. So it's not an either or, but the church has done that. See, the church has said, well, the Jews have temporal blessings. We have spiritual blessings. Well, actually, we have spiritual blessings and we have temporal blessings. We have spiritual blessings that enforce the temporal blessings of Abraham that belong to the Jews. Now, you can believe that or reject that. It's up to you. But that's what the Bible says. But notice it says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now, folks, if you don't understand the heavenly places, you're not going to understand the spiritual blessings. I think, personal opinion, I think that Paul knows that the letter that he's writing to the Ephesians and that's supposed to be passed around to the other churches as well, that we have record of too, I believe that Paul knows that it is more full, more packed, more jam-packed with truth than anything that he's ever written before. And this is the ultimate in operating by faith as far as Paul is concerned because he knows nobody's going to get this in one reading. He knows that the Holy Ghost is going to have to use this. He's going to have to take it and, and use it for throughout the years or whatever period of time God deems it worthy and unveil it to people little by little by little by little. But one of the themes that he starts off with is the heavenly places. He mentions heavenly places four times in this letter. Let me show them to you. First one is in chapter 1 in verse 20. He's talking about the exceeding greatness of God's power that works in in the believer, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Notice the word places is in italicized in both verses. It's literally the word heavenlies, in the heavenlies. Now, what heavenlies would we assume that he's talking about? Well, at this point, we could assume that he's talking about the right hand of the Father. The next was in chapter 2 and verse 6, talking about how that we were quickened together with Christ. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Notice places is in italics again. It's the same word heavenlies. Has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenlies places in Christ Jesus. So now we're coming to the understanding that he's talking about the right hand of the Father. The third one is in chapter 3 and verse 10. It's talking about the mystery of God that's been revealed by the Holy Ghost. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, same word, heavenlies, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Well, the principalities and powers he's talking about are not the powers of God. He's talking about the powers of the enemy. Well, they're not at the right hand of God, Father, are they? The last one is in chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul is talking about putting on the armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. 
What are these heavenly places? These heavenly places are the spirit realm. It's not the right hand of God the Father. Now, you are seated at the right hand of God the Father positionally. But what he's talking about here is not the right hand of God, unless the devil has powers at the right hand of God too. I don't believe that would work. So what's he saying? Let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the spirit realm. All spiritual blessings in the spirit realm. Now, some people write there, and that's one of the reasons that the church has substituted God's uh, promises of temporal and material blessings as identified through the the, uh, blessing of Abraham in the Old Testament for the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. They think that there was an exchange made. Well, nowhere does the Bible say that. The Bible, in fact, says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Hebrews 8, 6. It does not say we have a different covenant. It says we have a better covenant. It doesn't say we have a substitute covenant. Really, it's a misnomer when we call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant because there's only been one covenant. The fulfilling of the Old Covenant, God's covenant with the Jews through the finished work of Jesus, is the completion of the one covenant that he made with Abraham. He doesn't have one covenant with the Jews and one covenant with the church. He's got one covenant with the family of God. God's people under the old covenant were simply the literal descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham. Once Jesus came along, then it became a spiritual family rather than a natural family. But it's the same covenant. He's fulfilled it. And he made it better. Well, what was better about it? Well, we know what the old covenant was. It was the blessing of Abraham that included to a great degree provisions, material blessings. What's the new covenant? being made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so many times people get religious on you and they say, well, that's so much better than temporal blessings. Not when it's time to pay the rent. Go tell your landlord that you're not going to pay the rent this month because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Folks, there's no less need for finances and material possessions now than there ever was in the Old Testament. Is there? We have the same needs now as before. Well, what, did God just figure out now that you're saved you won't need that stuff? That's not the way it works. It's a better covenant established upon better promises. The promises and blessings of the old covenant plus the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, being made a new creature in Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means you're in a new position. It means you're in a new position. What position do we have? We have a spiritual position. Before, they didn't. Abraham didn't have a spiritual position. He just had a a covenant partner that was a spirit being. He didn't have a spirit position. But you do now. You do now. What does that mean? That means you have authority to operate with God's help and under God's blessings, umbrella of blessings and authority so that you can carry out his will here on the earth. Abraham was totally dependent on God doing everything. Sure, Abraham would put his hand to things. The Jews would, would, would work according to what the Bible tells them to do, and, but God would bless the work of their hands. But now we have authority to use the power and the authority and the, and the blessings that are, that are inherent in the name of Jesus to carry out God's will on the earth in a much greater way. Now, Moses is a good example Old Testament example of the New Testament believer. Moses talked to God face to face. 
He understood things about God and experienced things about God that nobody else could. That's a type of the New Testament believer. Well, when it came time for Moses to do something on behalf of the children of Israel to carry out God's will, he cried out to God. When he's standing at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is bearing down on him, he cries out to God and says, Lord, we need help. And God says, what are you crying out to me for? Now, I've said this before, but folks, that seems like a perfect time to pray for me. Uh, well, I'm in trouble. You brought us out here. The people we're leading are about to be slaughtered by Pharaoh's army. We've got a, a body of water in front of us that we can't get across. When else am I supposed to pray? But God's point is, you don't have to ask me, carry out my will in my name. So he told Moses what to do. He said, stretch forth your hand over the water. He took the rod that represented the name of Jesus. It was an Old Testament example of the name of Jesus. He stretched it out over the water and the water parted. Not because it didn't happen when God moved. It happened when Moses moved. That's what this is telling us, folks. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That place is a a spiritual place is a place of authority. It's a place of authority. It's a place of authority. You know, it's, I think so many people, too many Christians, think that God is just sitting in heaven and, and trying to deal with everybody's request because, God, because nobody can do anything on their own. All of it has to be God. It's all the will of God. It's all according to God's plan. Whatever God does is, is what he wants done, and whatever he doesn't want done is not what happens. Can you imagine the line of prayers every day if that was the case? That's not what God intended. Now, think of it where your kids are concerned. When your kids are little, they have to come to you for everything. But after your kids start getting some age to them and learn the system, and you do teach them the system around the house and how the family works and so forth, as the kids start getting older, you expect them to operate according to the system, according to what they've been taught. They don't have to come to you and ask, do I have to empty the garbage? When it gets to where you can't balance one more piece of paper on the top of that pile... It's time to empty it. Our kids get old enough, they don't ask us for something to eat. They go to the refrigerator and stand there and hold it open for five minutes at a time. <laughs> Why? Because that's part of maturing, is part of growth. You learn to do things on your own. That's what Paul's talking about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Can I ask you a question? What should the mature believer... Now, I don't know what you think a mature believer looks like, but you imagine the most mature Christian that you could possibly think of or conjure up in your imaginations. What would the most mature believer that you can imagine pray for? He's not going to pray for God to do things for him because if he's a mature believer, he's going to know the authority that he has in the name of Jesus. So what's he going to pray for? He's not going to pray for the will of God to be done because the word of God is the will of God. He's going to be mature enough to know that. He may pray according to God's plan and purpose as revealed in the word, but he's not going to be asking for God to do something that the word already says belongs to him or he can have. So what's he going to pray for? Folks, I want you to understand something. When you understand who you are in Christ, it changes your prayer life. You do away with all this, God, I want you to do this for me. Please help me here. Because you learn to take the word and say, wait a minute. The word says, 
that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. The Bible says God never leaves me nor forsakes me. So I'm in trouble in this situation. Thank God in the name of Jesus I have victory. What else is there to pray for about that? You'll spend your time praying for more for other people than you ever did. Because they may not know what you know. They may not have found out what you found out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You've got a place of authority, folks. That place of authority is a spiritual place. And temporally, naturally, you're still here on the earth. You still live here on the earth. But in reality, from a positional standpoint, you've got a place of spiritual authority that's the same as Jesus' place of authority. You're seated with him at the right hand of God the Father. It doesn't even say you're seated below him in close proximity. It says you're seated with him. You're seated with him. What would God the Father refuse Jesus? Let's just imagine that God and Jesus are sitting in heaven. God's on the great big throne in the middle. Jesus is on the right hand. And Jesus says, Daddy, I want you to do something for me. God says, no, I'm done with that. You went to the cross, you're done. (laughs) What would Jesus require of his father that God would ever consider saying no to? In fact, the Bible says that everything God has is already Jesus. The Bible says everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. So let's turn that around. Now, when we put it in terms of the first question, what would God refuse Jesus? Nobody can come up with anything. Nothing, of course. God would never refuse his son Jesus. Anything that he required or desired or whatever. But the same thing that belongs to Jesus belongs to you, the Bible says. So what would God refuse you? Oh, a lot of stuff. That's the way we think. But the answer is one and the same. You are in Christ. That means the same thing God would do for Jesus, he'll do for you. The same way God would do it for Jesus, he'll do it for you. Now, how would Jesus operate here on the earth? Is is Jesus having to get permission from God to carry out what he knows is God's will? Jesus have to pray and fast to figure out how to lead the church? He knows the will of God. Once you know the will of God, it's simply a matter of acting on the authority that you've been given to carry it out. Why? Because you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In so many other letters, Paul starts off saying, I hope God, give, I'm praying that God would give you grace, God would give you peace, I would get, that God would do this, that, and the other. Paul starts his letter off right off the bat saying, you've got everything you need. Jesus was raised from the dead, he conferred authority over the devil to the church in his name. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Heaven backs us up when we use the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Take authority over the devil and over your circumstances today in the name of Jesus. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. Wow. No wonder when Paul got a glimpse, he said, I was caught into a place that I didn't have words to speak. 
I saw and heard things that, that are not lawful. King James says they're not lawful to utter. That's really not what the language means. It means I don't have any words to describe what I saw. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.